Hey everyone, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. Um, this vlog is going to be hard for me to record. I've never recorded something like I'm about to do. Um, I've thought for a long time about whether or not to even shoot this. Um, and I almost didn't, but um, there were a couple things that push me over the edge that I really need to say. So I decided to go ahead and shoot this. I'm going to say in advance that um, I'm aware that this vlog is going to break some hearts and um, upset some people. I'm also aware that it might stir some controversy that takes some time for me and my team to settle down in our online communities. Um, and that's why I almost didn't shoot it. <laughs> but um, again, at the end of the day, the reasons for shooting it outweighed the reasons not, for not shooting it. So um, with all that said, you're probably wondering, oh my God, what you gonna talk about? <laughs> um, I wanna start off by telling you a story. It's a true story. A few months ago, I don't actually know how many months ago, a few months ago, uh, the weather was nice. So it must've been more than like four months ago, a few months ago. Um, I had a friend visiting from out of town and she was here to stay with me. She wasn't a good friend. I'd met her before in person once and we'd been communicating by email uh, other than that because she lived overseas. And um, we had a project that we wanted to do together. And so um, we'd met for lunch once and got along so well and over email and telephone, I'd gotten to feel really just close to her and I was so excited when she said she was gonna come stay. So she stayed at my house for several days with my kids and played her guitar to my kids and you know, uh, met my husband and we all just had a beautiful, beautiful visit together. And during this visit, I got the feeling that something was a little off or that to be precise, that I felt like she was um, holding herself back from me in a certain way, which seemed weird because it seemed like in every way we were like long lost soul sisters, like just getting along so well. And um, it had to do with her personal relationships is like, I, I felt like as we were talking, cause we, we were together for days and I cleared my calendar. So we spent a lot of really intense time together. I felt like as I asked her questions about her personal life, she got really guarded. And um, I guess I may be kind of nosy or kind of like, I, I think it was more that I wanted to see what was up. So I, I wanted to put her at ease ultimately. So I, at some point I started asking actually really pointed questions about that. I was like, so are you in a relationship? And then I felt the wall come up again. And she was like, well, no, I'm not at the moment. And then I was like, are you gay, straight, bi? And she was like, I'm gay. And I said, so, but you don't have a partner right now. And she went, Whew. she said, Susan, I was so scared to tell you that. And I was like, what, that you're gay? And she was like, well, yeah. And I was like, get out of here, for real? And she was like, well, yeah. And I said, why, why? Did you just come out or something? And she was like, no, well, I know that you're a Baha'i, so I just didn't know how that would be received. Like, I didn't know if I'd still be welcome at your house. I didn't know if you'd want me to meet your kids. Like, I didn't, like, I just didn't know, you know? And I was like, I was speechless. I was like, 
Why? Well, actually, I wasn't speechless. I think what I said is, oh, baby, you got to be a lot more than gay to count as like racy in my book. <laughs> and she laughed and that broke the ice. But, you know, um, inside I was speechless. Like inside I was like, oh, my gosh. And I started to think deeply, you know, if I were gay, I would know what every religion in the world said about homosexuality for sure. And, you know, I'm sure like on the internet, she found like the passages from the Baha'i writings that talk about homosexuality as like, you know, an affliction and ab abhorrence and like you need to pray to have it removed and like stuff like that. And what she didn't find obviously were the, you know, the ex exhortions to like um, never be prejudiced against anybody, welcome everyone into your home, you know, without regard for anything to you know, turn a blind eye to every fault, you know, et cetera, whatever. I don't think homosexuality is a fault. But anyway, there, there are Baha'i writings that would have let her know that even if I did think that about homosexuality, I never would have um, ejected her from my home because she was gay, ever. But, and my heart is racing because these are such controversial topics to talk about. Um, you know, politics and religion are not... Um, topics that we grapple with in Bright Line Eating because they're so contentious and so divisive. And in Bright Line Eating, they're irrelevant. Like we in Bright Line Eating are blind to all of these matters. We just want to love you as you get happy, thin, and free. We just want to welcome you, no matter who you are, where you come from, welcome you into our fold. And so I, I think, made a mistake in the early, early days of doing Bright Line Eating by telling people that I was a Baha'i because it's now created the need for this vlog now to tell you that I'm no longer a Baha'i. Um, on March 22nd of 2018, I withdrew from the Baha'i faith. And that is exactly 20 years to the day since I declared as a Baha'i. I was 23 when I declared on March 22nd, 1998, and I'm 43 now. This is about a month ago that I withdrew from the faith. And they were very gracious at the National Center to withdraw me from the faith on exactly the day that I requested to make it that 20 year. It just seemed kind of tidy, right? Um, and um, they requested my reasons. And so I had to I mean, I'd been thinking about it for years, to be honest, but I had to, I wrote up this document. It's like there's eight, there were eight points. And the first one was about homosexuality. Um, I'm not gay. I used to identify as bisexual as a teenager. I don't really anymore. I'm pretty, you know, on the Kinsey scale, I forget which way it goes, but from one to seven, if one is, I, I forget which way it goes, but if let's say one is completely gay and seven is completely straight, I'm probably a five. Like I'm pretty, I'm pretty heterosexual. But I believe, scientifically speaking, that homosexuality is um, present in the majority of cases by birth. And I don't believe that people should be trying to pray it away. I don't think that that works. And I don't think that that's what people should be trying to do. And I, I was raised in San Francisco, four blocks east of Castro Street. And I used to dance to gay pride, you know, um, festivities on Gay Pride Day. And... Um, my neighbors died of AIDS when I was a kid. I was raised near the Castro district in, 19, in the 1970s and 80s. And um, before 
AIDS was called AIDS, you know, when it was still thought to be the gay cancer, like my neighbors were dying of AIDS. And um, the um, identity of being gay and the culture of being gay and like gay people are far more disproportionately represented among my closest friends, like my inner circle than heterosexual people. That doesn't mean I have more gay friends than straight friends, but if you look at the percentages of the population, overrepresented in my inner circle. Um, because I just kinda, well, I'll talk maybe a little bit later in the vlog about why that might be, but um, anyway, the thought that someone who is gay would think that um, I thought that about homosexuality is, is, is one of eight reasons why I've withdrawn from the Baha'i faith. Um, I'm not gonna talk about all the others because it's my business, you know, and I'm not here to um, start controversy or to break hearts or to, you know, cast aspersions or to sow seeds of doubt in anyone else's mind. Like I've gone through my own private journey. The, the one other one that I do wanna talk about is the one that ties this vlog back to Brightline Eating because I think it's a really important point. And I think it um, is one that relates to what we do here at Brightline Eating and relates to how to think about this Brightline Eating journey. And it relates to the subtleties of how Brightline Eating is different than other types of food programs you can do, particularly 12-step food programs that will potentially provide the same type of transformation. <sighs> so, um, There are theories of adult development, you know, human development used to be historically child development. <laughs> um, and then Eric Erickson came along and, and provided the first comprehensive picture of adult development with stages of development that went all through adulthood. And in the modern times, Robert Keegan from Harvard University proposed a theory of adult development. Um, that has several stages of adult development, but I wanna talk about two of those stages in particular. There's the socialized mind and the self-authoring mind. And there's a stage beyond that. Most people don't get to self-authoring mind. Most adults stay at socialized mind. In socialized mind, you're getting your cues for right and wrong, for how to behave, for how to think about things from your environment. And that could be from your religion, it could be from your politics, it could be from your family, it could be from your school, it could be from your neighborhood, it could be from the TV that you watch, but you're getting your cues for what to think and how to believe and what's right and wrong from these structures that are around you. And if you, of course, belong to a religion, that's gonna be an incredibly strong source of guidance for what to think and how to believe and what's true and what's right and wrong. Socialize mind. Most adults live there. And um, to the extent that you're drawing from good sources, it can be just fine, you know? Um, to the extent that the people around you are bigoted or racist or, um, you know, um, eating all kinds of crappy unhealthy food and thinking it's fine and you know that they just need to keep taking these pills for their diabetes you know to the extent that you're surrounded by influences that are less than stellar less than healthy staying in socialized mind is not going to be a good thing it's going to hurt you the next stage of adult development as robert keegan proposed it is self-authoring mind and self-authoring mind takes the onus for 
evaluating and brings it inside and turns up the dial on it so that you can still kind of take a look at what your neighbors and family members and everybody around you is doing, thinking, believing, and whatnot, but it's all got to be raked through with a fine-tooth comb to say, do I believe this? Is this right? Is this wrong? What do I think about this? Um, is it helpful? Is it kind? Is it on track with what I believe? I believe. And the self-authoring mind continually recreates itself as it determines truth from falsehood. Now, it's interesting in the Baha'i faith, there's a principle called the independent investigation of truth. And it says in the Baha'i writings that God gave each of us um, incredibly rich powers of discernment to decide for ourselves what's true and what's not true. So I love that, the independent investigation of truth. That's self-authoring mind. Now, the eighth point in the document that I wrote about why I'm leaving the Baha'i faith is after I started learning more about the Baha'i faith, I realized that it's not really practiced there actually in that way. Maybe by some Baha'is on a case-by-case -case basis, but the writings themselves don't really allow it because what happens, what, what's happened in the Baha'i faith is Baha'u'llah, this prophet, wrote a about a hundred books, sat in prison for most of his life and wrote books, and then his son got the the baton passed him, and the idea is that everything that his son now wrote was the unquestioned author, authoritative interpretation. And then that guy's grandson got the baton past him, and then the Universal House of Justice. So there's like generations that amount to like hundreds of books of stuff, and every word of it is supposed to be the unqualified word of God. Like, there's no going through it with a fine-tooth comb and saying, I agree with this, but not this, because it all comes, like, it would be internally inconsistent to say that. And that makes me feel uncomfortable, especially because I don't agree with all of it. Like, I think the stance on homosexuality is wrong. I think it's unscientific. I know it's unscientific, and I believe that it's not only that, but I think it's unjust. I think it's hurtful. I can't, in good conscience, work toward a world in which more and more and more people are Baha'i and under the Baha'i umbrella, knowing that one-tenth of them are then going to be told that they should pray their gay away. Like, I can't do that. I can't work toward a world in which the Baha'i faith spreads if that's what gay people are told that they're supposed to do, that, that homosexual sex is an abhorrence. I can't do that, right? So, um, but the way the writings are set up, you have to swallow the whole thing hook, line, and sinker, right? You can't... So basically, the only independent investigation of truth that a Baha'i is allowed is to decide whether Baha'u'llah is who he says he is. And if you believe that he is, then all the rest flows from there. And you don't get to pick and choose from the rest of it. And my self-authoring mind tells me that I can't, I can't do that anymore. I can't live within a system where um, it's not consistent to sort of evaluate it all with my own inner self, right? Um, especially if there's glaring pieces of it that I think are, are off in major ways. And now that I'm a public figure, you know, research would tell me that somewhere between one-tenth and one-fifteenth of my watchers, listeners, viewers are gay. And what does it say to them if they know that I'm a card-carrying member of the Baha'i faith? If you are, I'm sorry, and I'm not anymore. And we're cool. And in the same breath, I gotta say, 
if you believe that homosexuality is an abhorrence and that gay people should pray their gay away, you and I are cool too. Like, Bright Line Eating's got nothing to say about homosexuality. Bright, this is Susan Pierce Thompson talking. This is not Bright Line Eating talking. Bright Line Eating is agnostic. Agnostic, agnostic, agnostic about any of these topics. And I hope that I never have to record a vlog again that is going to stir controversy and wound hearts. I'm not in the business of stirring controversy or wounding hearts. Some controversy, yeah, like controversy about the politics of sugar, great, bring it on. You know, that's a bright line eating topic. We can talk about how sugar is bad for you all day. I feel good about that. This topic I feel less good about. It's besides the point. But as, and I'm going to use a very egocentric term here, as a thought leader, <laughs> I don't know who, who, it's not my term. Other people are using that term these days, whatever. But as a thought leader, I can't in good conscience be here in front of others. Um, who might be assuming that I believe certain things about their sexual orientation when I don't, and I never did, um, and let that one slide. I experienced that day with my friend who was visiting from overseas, the damage that that could be doing psychologically. I'm not willing. I'm not willing to let that one slide. Um, so I haven't, okay. Whew. Adult development. Here's how this pertains to you and Bright Line Eating. At the extreme of the socialized mind, you have fundamentalism and fanaticism. And I'm going to define those terms. They're very loaded terms. I get that. Very loaded terms. Fundamentalism, if you look it up, is believing in the letter of the word, that what's written is true. That's a fundamentalist belief, okay? Fanaticism is enthusiasm and zeal um, for following a political viewpoint or a religious viewpoint with no critical thinking about the details. Like you just accept the whole thing and you're like, "Wee, yay, fanatical. And no critical thinking, there's no self-authoring self mind in there like dissecting the details and running them through a critical lens, okay? No, no criticism allowed in there. Um, every viewpoint, can have its strain of fundamentalism and fanaticism. And I don't care if it's paleo or whole food plant-based or vegan or Christian, Muslim, Baha'i, Jewish, whatever, Zoroastrian, Buddhist, Hindu, right? Every, you know, Democrat, Republican, you know, conservative party, lib, you know, labor party, whatever. Every single set of beliefs can um, be followed in a way that's fundamentalist and fanatical. And um, certain sets of beliefs um, encourage that in their very formulation. So if the set of beliefs says, um, has any part of it that says, here's why you can't question any of this. This all has to be swallowed hook, line, and sinker. Then it's leading you toward fundamentalism and fanaticism, right? Because like in, it, there's some kind of reason why the whole thing, and, and religion tends to be this because it says, because it's all from God, right? If, if the person that you believe has the straight line to God put all this together, then you have to follow it all hook, line, and sinker. Like you're internally inconsistent if you don't, right? For this reason, I doubt that I will ever join a religion again. Um, I may. 
And my self-authoring mind says, I'm not going to close my mind to any of it. Like, okay, you know, whatever. I might <laughs> in the future. I doubt it though. Like I feel a little bit, you know, it's been hard enough to, you know, unenroll from the faith I joined 20 years ago. Um, a faith that, by the way, I still believe is doing beautiful things and, you know, a lot of my family are still members of it. Um, even though I joined, you know, I, I have family members. I joined when I was 23, but I, I do have family members that joined after me and my husband and all these other people. Like the Baha'i faith is, um, it's it's a beautiful religion. And I, it you know, I agree with about 80% of it. Like there's, and I've, I've benefited so much from the wisdom in it. And there are principles of education and equality of women and men and independent investigation of truth and the harmony of science and religion that I believe in. Um, let's go back to fundamentalism and fanaticism though. In our Bright Line Eating journey, I've given you a set of bright lines. Already we're on our way to fundamentalism, right? I've given you a list of foods that are on the yes list, a list of foods that are on the no list. I've given you um, uh, specific instructions for how to prepare your food. I've given you a list of things to do when you wake up in the morning, a list of things to do before you go to bed at night. Do you see how this all lends itself to fundamentalism and fanaticism, right? Now, I've given you scientific reasons for not all of it, but most of it. Um, I've also told you that this comes from a 12-step background where, you know, human beings have been practicing this way of life for a long time and, you know, gotten good results and whatnot. I also, if you hear me coaching people, and probably in these videos in the vlogs as well, I say frequently, there are no bright line eating police. Do what makes you free. Do what gives you peace. And if you want to do your research, I never deny anybody their research. Those are all statements meant to backpedal on the underlying fundamentalism and fanaticism that a structure like Bright Line Eating can lead people toward. And the 12-step program, uh, there's several 12-step programs. I was in a couple of 12-step food programs before the whole Bright Line Eating thing and one, you know, overlapping with Bright Line Eating by quite a bit. Um, the stronger versions of those 12-step food programs um, lead very much to fanaticism. Not fundamentalism because they don't have it all written down per se, but fanaticism, like enthusiastic zeal unchecked by critical thinking over the particulars. Um, and that fanaticism, in my opinion, it, it hurts people. It hurts people. It leads to sponsors telling sponsees, you need to leave your other 12-step programs. You shouldn't be in any therapy. You need to get off your medications. You shouldn't marry that person. You shouldn't have another baby. You blah, blah, blah. You can't go on that vacation. Um, I, you know, I don't want you working the steps that way with that person, um, et cetera. Every single one of the things I just said is guidance that I know of sponsors who have told sponsees. It feels, in my mind, um, unethical, sometimes bordering on, bordering on criminal, um, unwise at the very least, and none of their business most often. Um, but it's the sort of fanaticism that goes into thinking that you know the way to recover from food addiction, and if someone doesn't do it your way, they're not being willing and they're not surrendered. Um, so 
why would it be that way? Why would such a large group of people who are generally so connected with God and so heartfelt in their desire to do God's will um, be passing on guidance like tinged with this fanatical zeal that leads to such bad advice so often? I believe the answer lies in the disease that we're facing in the first place. Food addiction is a tricky beast. If you, if you have food addiction, then you might be nodding right now going, yeah, it is, it's tricky, right? Because the food addict mind wants you to slip up and get right back into the sugar and flour. And it's gonna use trickery and machinations to get you to do it. And what that means, and it's gonna talk to you in your own voice. I cover this in my book. It's gonna talk to you in your own voice and, and be incredibly convincing at your weakest moments. And, use sometimes very roundabout ways to try to get you to slip up. Like, yes, you should go on this vacation and knowing that your life is gonna get more swirly and then it might get you then to, to order the pizza, right? It might not get you now because you're on solid ground now, but if we get you on vacation, if we get you on a cruise now, really there's gonna be more wiggle room, right? So your disease is tricky like that. And someone who's sponsoring somebody knows they're like okay my sponsee's got the head of a food addict like i can't everything that she tells me i can't trust everything she's telling me about her experience or her wants or her beliefs or whatever it's very hard to use self-authoring mind when you're enmeshed in your addiction it might be much better to take an approach of fundamentalism or fanaticism and rigidly follow the guidance of someone else who's gotten out of this addictive mess and so what I wanna say is, even though Brightline Eating takes no, um, no fanatical stance on foods, for example, the protein debate, 